welcome to the Nerd Party. Hello and welcome to Great Shot Kid, a podcast that's going to explore the creators of the Star Wars galaxy, uh, all of the work that they do outside of that galaxy, and how it informs their work going into it. I am one of your hosts, John Mills, and with me is my good friend, Michael Schindler. Hello, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Uh, It's going well. I'm excited, actually, to present this podcast to the world. Um, The format here, in case anybody, uh, you know, has any question about it, is we're looking at the Star Wars films through a lens of the creators that have, uh, you know, come forward to put them together. For instance... Uh, our approach is that if you come into Star Wars, now known as Episode Four: A New Hope, and you see those credits for cinematographer uh, Gil Taylor or you know writer-director George Lucas, what have they done outside of Star Wars? What did they do before Star Wars? And what about that work informs what you see? Do you see a pattern? Do you see something about that artist's work that can help enhance your enjoyment or possibly even give you little Easter eggs, little stylistic cues that you can look for throughout their work that you can see come in and inform and shape Star Wars. So, Mike, uh, why don't you let everybody know what we're going to be looking at this week? Well, you know, there's a lot of Star Wars stuff which is going to be coming out in the near future, and that's uh, just as exciting as the stuff that we have already seen, and there are as many exciting people working on those movies and television shows and comics and books and all the rest of it as there are who have worked in on, on the old stuff. And, you know, lots of times uh, people will hear these names uh, being, you know, tossed out and saying, like, this guy is directing this movie or this woman is writing this movie, and people don't know what that means. They have no frame of reference. And uh, Rogue One, which is the the new movie, which is coming out soon, uh, is one which is particularly interesting because there seem to be a lot of people involved behind the scenes on this film, particularly in the writing process. And I think it has a lot of people worried. And I think what we want to do is you know, maybe suggest or, or or tell people that they don't really have that much to be worried about. Maybe they do. I don't know. Hey, I guess we'll find out. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm not worried. Are you worried? No, I'm not particularly worried because I think that a lot of the concern comes from the fact that the process is so transparent nowadays. There are a lot of things that through time have had you know, last minute rewrites, some reshoots, uh, you know, somebody coming in and re-editing everything to give it a better flow or something, you know, that responds to some feedback from early test audience screenings and those sorts of things. I mean, again, to to keep it in the Star Wars universe, you know, there was a cut of the film that was put together and, um, you know, they later brought in the editing team uh, to come in and reshape the endings. the first edit was sort of a, a toss up between comedy sort of semi spoofing what was happening to a very sort of dry THX one one three eight feel. And so, you know, if that process were happening now, people would be panicking. But I think you're right. 
if you look at the work of you know what everybody's doing going into Rogue One, you know one of the names attached to it now is Christopher McQuarrie, who has a tremendous resume uh, as a you know as a filmmaker as a writer, and so if you were to you know take a look through and say, well, what has he written? You know, why would you bring Christopher McQuarrie in? He has a heck of a resume. Uh, you know, what would jump out to you? What would you look at in his list of things that he's done and you would say, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'd love that guy to be writing dialogue or a scene breakdown for me. Well, I mean, he he did win an Oscar for his very first screenplay, you know, Usual Suspects, which I think, you know, really does, you know, uh, lend itself to, to some... some uh, reassuredness or something sure i don't know yeah <laughs> i don't know but it, it's interesting and and you know i mean one of the things that he's known for is just kind of like being a script doctor like helping helping out you know movies when when they need it and that's not an uncommon thing i mean you know the the very first movie you know episode four had some you know work done on it by i, I believe brian de palma and also uh willard Hike and Gloria Katz, if I'm yeah, not they they did they did a lot. If you look at uh, Laurent Bouzereau's annotated screenplays, they're actually he just to make it easier, he just put asterisks next to all of the dialogue that they helped rewrite, and there's there are a lot of asterisks on that script. I can imagine yeah. going all the way up to the prequels, you know, with uh, Carrie Fisher mm-hmm. coming on to to write uh, dialogue and scenes for you know certain certain uh, pieces uh, in in the prequels, which is, you know, really, really interesting. So, yeah, I mean, I, should, should we go back to the beginning? And, and, and sure, yeah, no, no, that, that's, that's a great call. Let, yeah, let's go back to the beginning because the first name that created sort of a splash attached to it was Gary Whitta. Even before that. Even before jo- that. John Knoll. Ah, yes, that's right, John Knoll. Which is, which is really interesting. Because he's not, traditionally speaking, a writer. That's you true. Know? He is an Oscar-winning visual effects, you know, producer who uh, did, you know, the visual effects for. Well, he won his Oscar for I think Pirates of the Caribbean too. But he also worked on the prequels. Mm-hmm. He worked on the special editions. I mean, he's worked on everything. He's one of the tops, the absolute tops in the, in I, the business. I believe he even had a hand in the invention of Photoshop. Yeah, because his brother was like the guy who yeah. like invented it, right? Yeah. Yes. So he was, yeah, and, and he was involved in that. I mean, come on, you know. Yeah. But you know, it, just like every other person, I'm sure who works at ILM, you know, just because of of the nature of you know being a, a movie fan and everything, he's obviously a huge Star Wars fan. Sure. Right? Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's got he's got a story credit. Um, now and uh, you know just because uh, for anybody who hasn't uh, heard Mike and I have a discussion previously uh, Mike possesses a vast knowledge of the you know the filmmaking process uh, one that from which I've learned through the years so don't don't oversell that too much well you know uh, compared to me I mean granted that's a low bar however um why would Noel, I mean, Noel is credited as a writer, a story by at this point, but I believe that there's some talk about the fact that, you know, there was a screenplay, but it's been so rewritten that aren't the WGA rules that it now falls back. They get a story credit because it's like the uh, Sowards versus Meyer 
Star Trek Two thing happening, or even the Denny Martin Flynn credit on Star Trek Six. Yeah, a lot of it is based on like arbitration and stuff like that, and it's not uncommon for someone to come in and write like a draft of a screenplay and have it rewritten so heavily that basically what's left doesn't really resemble what they wrote in the first place, but maybe there are key, you know, elements, you know, which are still there. And and in that case they would get like a story by credit. Now in in the case of, of John Knoll, I think, you know, he's he's talked about it or other people have talked about it where, you know, since he has an in at Lucasfilm, he was, you know, given the the, the right, I guess, to pitch a story once, you know, it was revealed that they were going to be doing these standalone things. And, you know, as, as legend has it, this was the first story that, that Kathleen Kennedy heard pitched to her. And it, apparently it was an idea which Noel had been kicking around for years and years and years. He would, you know, just like, you know, everyone does, just like we do. Like, wouldn't it be cool if they did a thing where blah, blah, blah happened? I mean, everyone does that. And obviously yeah. the people working at ILM do that too, and he would do that. And here was his chance, and how could he let that, you know, go by because even though he's not a writer by trade that's not to say that he's not a storyteller i mean you look at the stuff in the prequels and it's like that's he is definitely a storyteller well you I, know? Mean, I mean considering how much we know that uh you know lucas tossed over to the you know because in the script it would say like they fight or the battle begins and the, you know the visual effects department you know he would say okay you know, put something together, give me the animatics, let me see what it's going to look like, and then, you know, we'll help shape it in the editing booth. And a, a great example of that, actually, is the um, what the effects department worked up for the, the Jango Fett-Obi-Wan fight. It was originally, like, this big 20-minute battle. And then Lucas, being Lucas, was like, okay, I see where you're going. And he just, like, chopped everything down, and we got the terrific little fist fight that we got in Attack of the Clones. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, all that just to say, I think you have a, a very valid point where, you know, he might not have previous screenwriting credits, but he's obviously been crafting things uh, for yeah. for some time. But that being said, I, I would imagine that even though he had a, a killer idea from from the sounds of it and, and, you know, something which is good enough for a studio to purchase and turn into a major motion picture they probably weren't going to hand him the responsibility of turning out a 120 page screenplay after not writing anything yeah. you know in his life <laughs> fair bet so it so it only makes sense that they would hire an established screenwriter to come in and write the actual script of this movie and and the person who they hired was Gary Witta yes now Gary Witta very interesting story, you know, in his own right. He was a, a, a magazine uh, editor who became a screenwriter, and he's written uh, two movies uh, up up till now. He wrote uh, The Book of Eli, yeah. which was directed by the Hughes brothers, starring mm -hmm. Denzel Washington. And then he wrote After Earth, which was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring... Uh, and, and received quite warmly by critics and audiences alike, Mike. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. I don't know. Have you seen The Book of Eli? I have seen Book of Eli. I actually truly, deeply enjoy Book of Eli. Book of Eli hits that sweet spot that just re it's like ringing the church bell for me. I was like, that is, that's my type of movie right there. What did you think of it? 
Um, I did not like that movie at all. Okay. No, hey, fair <laughs> enough. I, I know. I, it. I know it has like it has a really big cult following. You know, there's a lot of people out there who like the Book of Eli. I'm not one of them. Uh, I but... will. I will say that the 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 film is very largely powered just by the charisma of Denzel Washington. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, Denzel Washington's one of those actors where I freely admit he walks on screen and like the movie goes up by a star because I'm like, all right, hey, how you doing, Denzel? Let's hang out. Yeah. The only movie yeah. that uh, never of his that never had uh, benefit of of that charm was John Q, but that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, no, I really enjoyed Book of Eli. But, again, I, I freely admit that it, it navigated that 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 stone needle. It like went right through and hit right where it needed to for me as an audience member. So, Yeah, yeah, it didn't quite work for me. And and After Earth, did you see that? No. I, that, that's definitely an example of the reviews kept me far, far away from the theater. See, I'm still, I'll see anything M. Night Shyamalan does because he's made two legitimate masterpieces, in my opinion, and, you know, that's enough to get me in the theater no matter what. And You better not yeah. say that Lady in the Water was one of them. No, although I do think that that's a, a okay, very keep moving, misunderstood keep moving. Just, movie. So okay. you saw After Earth. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I saw After Earth, and it's as bad as everyone says, so... So basically, we're establishing that his two credits coming into Rogue One, we should actually be very happy that we've heard about these rewrites that have happened on the script. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if I would go that far. I mean, you know, the, who knows like what his original script for for After Earth was, or actually, it was based on an idea by Will Smith, I think. But you know, it, it's it's one of those things where. You know, who knows what's what's going on, you know, behind the scenes, who knows what other spec scripts he wrote, which may have, you know, gotten him the job here. But one thing which is clear based on his online persona is that he is very much a Star Wars fan and he understands that world, I think, uh, completely. Maybe you would disagree with that. But I, 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 well, I he's he's definitely a fan of a certain type like he's, you know. Uh, that that's a whole i guess argument for another day but i would say that gary witta is a more uh he's he's like the type of van halen fan that only likes david lee roth and hates sammy hagar whereas you know i would be the type of fan that embraces both and maybe even prefers sammy hagar who knows <laughs> right so you're weird that's cool that's oh, cool that, that hurts man <laughs> that just hurts well you know that that's weird that's not it is the, not, that's not it is not weird hagar is so much but anyway anyway okay hagar better right. than roth period okay. in a sense yeah fair enough yeah fair enough mm. so so yeah after writing you know one draft of this screenplay uh widow was replaced by another writer and now because there has been so much you know in terms of rewrites and everything even though gary widow did write one draft of the screenplay his credit is a story by credit as well you know this is an example of that now it doesn't seem like there's any ill will on the part of either party you know it's quite possible that he was busy and and they just couldn't bring him in to to do another draft or it's quite possible that you know they they thought it needed fresh eyes you know which is the the thing which you know is, is it's the dreaded you know whatever you know thing that 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 everyone sort of uh thinks is the sign of of doom and gloom on on a movie but i i see the value in that for sure you know 
I mean, yeah. I, I can I can definitely see like even the best writer getting to a point where they can't see the forest through the trees and someone else needs to come in and take a look at it and figure out how to hack that Gibson, you know, yeah. and and in this case, uh, sounds like Chris White's was that guy. Yeah. And he's uh, he's a he's got Disney experience. So that explains yeah. his connection, why they would uh, why they would bring him in. It was uh, Cinderella. It was Brano Cinderella. He wrote. Yeah, he wrote that. And uh, if if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong here, but I, I think there were other drafts of that screenplay or or whatever. You know, Disney was trying to figure out how to do it, and I think he's the guy who came in and figured it out in the end. I could be wrong about that, but I seem to remember hearing that. Now, I think that our opinions diverge on Cinderella as well because I found it to be. I was curmudgeonly the. The kids wanted to see it, and I was like, oh, I don't want to watch this. And the first, like, five or ten minutes, my wife keeps, like, hitting me in the ribs. She's like, shut up. Just go along with it. And once I went along with it, I found it to be a delightful little film to watch. Did you also embrace Cinderella? No, not really. You know, it was one of those movies where I felt obligated to watch for the longest time because I do like Kenneth Branagh quite a bit. I do like Chris White's quite a a bit. And everyone was saying that it was really good. You know, my mom would not shut up about this movie. And I'm like, okay, I know that I need to see this eventually, and I will. And then when, you know, it was announced that White's was doing Rogue One, I was like, now I know I really need to see this. And I finally bit the bullet last night and watched it. And I have to say that it wasn't that great. I didn't think it was apocalyptically bad, but I didn't think it was good. Now, see, that that's another thing that I, I want anybody new to the show to know. We give ourselves homework, but it's a fun sort of homework. Like you just said, you heard Chris White's is coming in and, you know, he worked on Rogue One. And so this is a thing that we do. And this is what you're going to see informs the show as well is we'll sit there and we'll say, okay, well, what else did they do? And we'll get the list of things and we, you know, and we'll even discuss it here on air about, you know, the, the different movies that, you know, uh, the, the person wrote or that they directed or, you know, even in some cases starred in and those sorts of things. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to take the opportunity to let everybody know that you can look forward to a fun sort of homework uh, with our show, uh, you know, so, so long as we're doing it. So Cinderella didn't land on it for you. Have you seen anything else that White's has written that you did like? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of White's going, uh, you know, way, way back. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's one of those things where he does a lot of stuff, a lot of different stuff. He's not just a writer. He's also a, a director and a producer. And he's really good at all of those things. And, and I think that that's really kind of cool. So when I heard White's name, I was like, my ears immediately perked up. I'm like, ooh, ooh, I, I'm excited to see... Chris White's working on a Star Wars movie and then when I looked back at his writing credits I was like there's a lot of things he wrote that I didn't like but I like Chris White's as a filmmaker Mm -hmm. and you know one of the one of the things which he did write which I do like quite a bit is uh the first DreamWorks animated movie Ants oh yeah which starred uh Woody Allen and Sylvester Stallone okay so Ants was the one with Woody Allen I know there was another one a competing one from uh, Bugs Life Bugs Life from Pixar yeah, and everyone loved Bugs Life and thought that Ants was pretty good. I loved Ants and thought that Bugs Life was pretty good. And, you know, he he co-wrote that with his brother. Early on in their career, Chris and Paul Weitz were, had sort of like a Coen Brothers 
uh, collaboration going on. Mm-hmm. Like even with uh, the the first thing, the thing which really stands out to me in his career, American Pie. Like Paul Weitz is listed as the director and Chris Weitz is listed as the producer. But in reality, they did both things. And when it came to their second movie, Down to Earth, they're both co-credited as directors and producers. But let's go back to American Pie. Uh, let, let's. Let's go back. I Okay, there's there's a historical component to this. But just first off, I love American Pie. I love it so much. I cannot get enough of the first American Pie. I think it's great. Do you like it? I thought it was very good. My favorite part of it was Eugene Levy, because I yes. I like Eugene Levy, and I think that he is uh, funny no matter what he's in. Um, yeah. I you know I didn't uh, I didn't have quite the same uh, truly amazingly positive reaction that a lot of my friends did to it, but I did enjoy it. I do think it's funny. I think that it was a, a well-made uh, modern American sexual comedy, you know, that that was fun to watch. Yeah, for sure. And I think part of it had to do with the fact that I was basically the same age as the characters in there. You know, I had just graduated from high school the year before and everything. But 1999, arguably the best year in movie history, if you ask me. And that summer was a magical summer for movies. And in a lot of ways, when I look back at it, I think of it as starting with episode one and ending with American Pie. It's just kind of like a nice bookend, uh, you know, to that to that that glorious summer, that glorious movie watching summer. So when I heard that Chris White's the guy who was on the other end of that summer was going to be writing a Star Wars movie, which was on the the you know the front end of that summer, I'm like, oh wow, that's just so so perfect. It, it just mirrors everything, and 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 then I started thinking about like. You know, if you told 1999 me, like, someday there's going to be a standalone Star Wars movie, and it's going to be written by the guy who produced American Pie, I'd be like, what? What? (laughs) The future is amazing. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I probably would have uh, told my friend that they were cut off and that they needed to just go home at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And uh, we should also mention that... uh, White's was has also been nominated for for an Oscar for his writing, and and that was for About a Boy, a movie which he also directed. Yes, which I never saw, but was very warmly received. I remember all of the positive press about it. Yes, I totally remember all that positive press too. And you didn't see it? Oh no, I saw it. Oh, you did? Oh, oh yeah. And I take it that possibly your your opinion diverged. A little bit, a little bit. Interesting. Interesting. That's not a good movie. But, hey, it got nominated for an Oscar, so what do I know? Uh, but uh, was it as good as um, another film that he directed that was a very big mainstream hit, actually? Twilight Saga, New Moon. Um, <laughs> I would say New Moon is better than About a Boy. Ouch. But I would not say that New Moon is good. That's and okay. I, now, see, and I, I have ha- to see both now. I have to figure uh-huh. this one out. Okay, okay. I I haven't seen The Golden Compass. Uh, I've heard some really bad things about that one as well. He's even said bad things about that one. He was like, yeah, I basically couldn't get out of it, so I did this thing. Yeah. One one hidden gem in his filmography, I will say, is um, Down to Earth, which is a a remake of Heaven Can Wait starring Chris Rock 
in the uh, Warren Beatty role. Oh, I didn't know that was a remake. Yeah, yeah, nice. it is. It's good. It's really good. That was like their follow up to uh, American Pie, and and it's it's really good. It's really funny. Definitely check that one out. Okay, so, so so basically, you know, he did American Pie, and you really liked Ants. Is there anything about Cinderella's script? Like you did, you weren't nuts about Cinderella, but looking at it from sort of like a, a I don't know, dialogue standpoint, or a, what was it that didn't gel? Was it just it didn't come together, or do you look at it? And you say, ah, well, you know, it was a decent script. It just wasn't a great script. The the problem to me with Cinderella was that I don't really think it added anything to the story. Like we all know that story. You know, we we could we could spell it out beat for beat. You know, off the top of our heads. And uh, when you're, you're you're watching that on screen, I, I just I felt like he didn't add anything to it. I mean, the one thing which I I thought you know he did seem to add to it was. Uh, there was a lot more backstory in this one. Mm-hmm. At least it seemed like it, you know, from from what I was familiar with, which I guess is primarily the the Disney cartoon. But you know, I I can totally see why Disney would approach him for Rogue One because they he he did just do what you know what they're looking for, which is write a script for a a, a very successful movie. You know, Cinderella was a huge hit for Disney. You yeah. know. And and they knew that they could trust him. I'm sure they know things behind the scenes, like his process and everything, which definitely suggested that he was someone capable of, you know, writing uh, another draft of this screenplay. And and that's that's what he did, apparently. So. Yeah, but he okay. And I, I think this is a good opportunity too, because this is something that still trips me up. Because uh, in the credits as they stand right now. There's and Tony Gilroy, not ampersand Tony Gilroy, but and Tony Gilroy. And the way I've always understood it, somebody explained it to me years ago, is when you see a screenplay and it says person's name and A-N-D, that means this person wrote a draft and then this person came in and rewrote the draft. You know, just did draft two of that. Whereas ampersand means that it's uh, two people sitting in a room together like uh, uh Kurtzman and Orsi with Star Trek, they actually sat down in the room together, working together, you know, throwing ideas back and forth. And so it's a truly collaborative uh, sort of situation. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. So if you look at the credits, you know, on on this movie, it says story by John Knoll, A-N-D, Gary Whitta, screenplay by Chris White's A-N-D, Tony Gilroy. And from what, you know, people have been saying, you know, behind the scenes, you know, the info that has kind of come out on this, uh, apparently uh, Tony Gilroy's contribution to the script came after uh, principal photography had ended. Essentially, Tony Gilroy has uh, written the the uh, reshoot portion of the movie. Okay. Um, so if there was a scene that wasn't working that needed to be punched up and they knew they were going to reshoot it, Tony Gilroy is the guy where they said, listen, scene 2B, we need better dialogue here. We, you know, we shot it. We we viewed the rushes. We know that it's not going to work. So come on in. And so he would have been working parallel during the editing process. Yeah, from what I understand, I mean, I guess one one thing that we should mention before we get to Gilroy is that uh, uncredited, it sounds like Christopher McQuarrie came in and did a little polish 
okay. to White's draft. So like whatever whatever Macquarie contributed to the movie is not enough for him to get a credit, but they were little fixes. It would be similar to what, you know, Carrie Fisher did on on the prequels, you know, that right. kind of thing. And uh he's he's kind of known for doing that. Um, but he's also someone who can be relied on because, you know, like we were saying, I mean, he's got an Oscar for Usual Suspects. And more recently, he's had kind of a renaissance as a director as well uh, with things like Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which which just came out last which, year. Which is a phenomenally wonderful film. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Beginning to finish. And anybody who doesn't think so is wrong. Right. And he's working on the new Mission Impossible now, you know. But he probably came in, you know, did a polish on the draft before they went off to shoot and then they shot it. Now, I mean, who knows exactly what happened, but you know, there's a lot of people reporting on things from what seem to be legitimate sources and stuff. And it sounds to me at any way, what happened was they shot the movie, they made an edit. They said, you know, okay, we're having some problems. So they brought in Tony Gilroy to essentially look at what they had and give them suggestions, you know, say like, what right. would you do? How would you fix it? And then he went off and rewrote uh, a lot of, you know, scenes or whatever, and then came back. Apparently, you know, word on the street is that he was the second unit director during the reshoots, and that now he's heavily involved with the um, post-production and the editing and, and whatnot. And that, just from a historical standpoint, makes a lot of sense for two reasons. One, he pretty much did the same thing, at least in terms of like polishing the script, for Gareth Edwards' last movie, Godzilla. Oh, I he, didn't know he he did that with Godzilla. Yeah, okay. he did. And he has a history with Frank Marshall, who is um, you know Kathleen Kennedy's husband, yeah. uh, who is a, a producer in his own right, uh, having produced a lot of movies, including... The Bourne uh, Identity movies. Right. And Gilroy wrote the original, well, he wrote uh, he wrote the first four Bourne movies, everything except for the last one. But with The Bourne Identity in particular, there were a lot of problems with that movie behind the scenes and a lot of problems uh, with the director, Doug Lyman, and essentially Marshall fired Doug Lyman or he left or whatever. And Marshall brought in Gilroy to recraft the movie into what it is today. So, you know, Marshall, I guess, you know, seeing that, that you know, his wife was having the same problem with, with Rogue One, said, hey, I know a guy. Why don't you call in Gilroy? And so is, there, is there any reason, though, for people then to be nervous or not nervous, but, you know, for any sort of alarm bell to go off about, you know, Gareth Edwards is still the director. He's still been touted as the director. He still went to Star Wars Celebration Europe as the director. So it's not that Gilroy is complete. He didn't completely blow up the movie. Like, this is still going to be Gareth Edwards' movie. It's just that Gilroy is working behind the scenes with him to get it completed. Or is he sort of steering it? And, you know, they just they said to Edwards, okay, this is great, but he's going to. He's going to tweak this part right here. 
Well, that, I don't know, that is the part that concerns me as, as, as a viewer, you know, because it sounds like what's happening is that it is still a very collaborative effort that Gareth Edwards is very much still involved in this thing, but that Tony Gilroy is the guy calling the shots. Okay. Who knows whether or not that's actually true, you know, but based on what, you know, people are reporting, you know, legitimate news sources who apparently have, you know, good connections but that's what's happening but i would say that uh there was one point where they were saying the same thing about christopher mcquarrie and christopher yeah. mcquarrie came forward and he said you guys are full of bunk i that's not even close to what i was doing you know shut your yaps but we haven't had tony gilroy come forward and make the same sort of definitive statement no, and and if you look at like the the news outlets that are reporting, you know the the Gilroy stuff compu- compared to the news outlets that were reporting uh, the the Macquarie thing, it's a different. Quali- I mean, there's it's like print publications and stuff like that. People who you would assume would do, you know, their their journalistic, you know, whatever diligence and and uh, and and get their their sources and everything i mean that you know who knows how much that can be trusted too like there is one report from entertainment weekly which was very thorough which apparently you know came from them talking to very high up sources in lucasfilm which a lot of people think was damage control you know they they leaked the info to entertainment weekly as as damage control for all these other stories which were popping up so who knows you know i mean for sure but it, yeah. it definitely seems like Gilroy is involved in some capacity, whether or not he's he's in control of the movie or Edwards is, you know, who knows? You know, we, we may not know that for years to come. And the thing that bothers me about that is even if Gilroy is better suited to this task and even if he is going to make what most people would consider to be a better movie, mm-hmm. I still would like to think of movies as art and I would still like huh. to think that we're seeing an artist's vision, huh. right? <laughs> I know, I know, what? especially when we're talking about, you know, a Star Wars movie made by, you know, the Walt Disney Company. Right. But, but you know, we're, I don't know. Listen, we're in strange territory compared to when Lucas was running the show. Okay, oh, yeah, that, th- this, is, this is totally different sort of uh, mentality coming into things. But with Gilroy, regardless of everything else that's been put out there, we know that he's got a writing credit on it. We know that he's been heavily involved in it. So what is it in his resume that should give fans who might be you know, having a, a bit of a nervous moment of his involvement, what would you pick out of his repertoire for a reason to calm down and say, you know what, this guy knows what he's doing and it's it's going to go well. well. I think you can look at two things uh, which are kind of different in, in terms of uh, the, the spectrum of, of, you know, filmmaking. One, the, the one that, you know, would jump out to you, I think more than anything, is Michael Clayton, since yeah. that was the one where he got nominated for, for Best Original Screenplay and it was either Best Director or Best Picture that he was nominated for, I forget. But regardless of that, I mean that's a great movie. I just watched that again this morning, um, yeah. and it's it's a fantastic movie and 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 wonderful screenplay. But I think sort of like closer to what we're looking at here, uh, you know, the Born Identity is sort of an example of of a movie which everyone loves, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, and and that that first movie in particular, you know, really really was a a big hit and, and a critical success and everything and. 
it sounds like it was a movie which was in a lot of trouble. And Gilroy is the guy who, quote unquote, saved it. So that's really interesting. I would look at the other Bourne movies, you know, even more so. I mean, the Bourne Ultimatum, I thought was an amazing movie. And and and, and the, mm. the way that they sort of like jumped around with the timeline and everything was like really interesting. But I mean, what all these things have in common are, you know, huge blockbuster action movie type of things, which are also very intelligent, you know? Yeah. See, and, I, I would sort of key in, as strange as this might sound, because we're dealing with the Empire, we're dealing with uh, you know evil incarnate. Uh, in his resume is the Devil's Advocate, which I still oh, yeah. maintain is just a delightfully fun movie to watch, and one that just you know if he's going to come in and they're like uh, you know what we need to make it more evilish. Well, all right, you picked the right guy here. You know, he wrote a movie about you know the Devil with Al Pacino that was actually pretty pretty darn clever. You know, it was, it was a fun watch, you know, so I, I would go to that. I would also go, I agree with you about the Bourne movies because they're in the same vein. They're franchise movies, they're action movies, but they're also intelligent action movies, as people might say. So, yeah, so you look you look at this, you look at these these five people, you know, and none of them are are bad. You know, none of them on their own, you know, suggest that that this movie is is going to be terrible. You know, they all have their unique qualities which they bring to it. And as they sort of progress in the production, I think you see their their credits at least get better and better. You know, I mean, they've got three Oscar nominees, one Oscar winner um working on this movie. Not counting the the guy who won the Oscar for visual effects, you know, coming out with the story. I mean, the, those that, are those are the awards that they announce with some supermodel, and they you know play on fast forward during the ceremony, so you know they don't really count. So your prognosis uh, on Rogue One is thumbs up. We're okay. We're we're not steering for an iceberg right now. We're we should all still be you know excited that this this film is coming out because they've got quality people that have put it together. I am. I mean, especially like, you know, you, you hear someone like Tony Gilroy is writing it. Like, I'll, I mean, it could be anything, you know, if they were like this movie, you know, the, the, the new Twilight movie, you know, the new Twilight movie is in trouble and they've brought Tony Gilroy in to punch up the script and take over, you know, I'd be like, oh, now I need to see the new Twilight movie because who knows what Gilroy is going to do, you know? And uh, if you spend enough time with us, folks, uh, you, too, will hear news like, oh, Tony Gilroy is coming in to punch up the new Twilight movie. I guess I need to go see it. And occasionally you'll take a breath and you'll say, huh, how did I get to this point? And it, it's us. We, we're going to do it to you. Sorry. Yeah, no, we don't apologize. This is going to be a fun ride for everybody. And uh, so we thank you for joining us on this uh, first leg of our journey. We look forward to talking to you every week on Great Shot Kid, and we look forward to seeing you again soon. 